So I want to start with a question. Um, and there's a slide that we're going to show right now, but does anybody recognize this statue? That how many how many recognize it? Raise their hands. Okay. So call out. What is the statue? It's Father Damien, right? And that's that's the statue that's uh, right in front of the state capitol. Um, it's always I've always remembered it. It's just it's just so unique, right? And um, how it's how it's crafted and the artist that made it. So. For those of you who aren't familiar with Father Damien, he is venerated as a saint in the Catholic Church, in large part because he had a mission. He felt called and devoted himself to this mission of caring for those that had leprosy. And that's also called Hansen's disease. And so these are some pictures of him as a young man and after he himself contracted leprosy. And this was around the late 1860s and, and from onward. And at the time um, when leprosy surfaced, it was a very infectious disease, um, very easy to contract. And so the native Hawaiians here on, um, on the islands were especially susceptible to this disease. And so what happened was the government officials came if you had leprosy or they had any uh, inkling that you had it and they would search you. And if you did, they would take you and remove you to a remote part of a, the Kalaupapa Peninsula of Molokai. And it is really beautiful out there, but it's also very isolated. And there, people with leprosy would basically um, wait to die because there wasn't a cure until much later. Um, so the Hawaiian kingdom at that time they had, they, they had been overthrown by Western civilization and they had, um, civilization had come in. There was colonization going on. President Dole was the president. He issued these orders for the native Hawaiians to be basically sentenced there. And in the meantime, Father Damien, he made it his mission to go and be with these people and care for them as best as he could um, and try to make life as normal as he could for them until he eventually died. So he's hailed as a hero. He's definitely a martyr of charity and a patron saint. And Father Damien's story, because you all know him really well, has been chronicled in books, in history, and even a movie. Um, there might be more than one. I just know one that's called Molokai. Yeah. But during that same time, there are other stories that were being told from other people and families that had also been affected by leprosy. And one is the story of Pi'ilani, and this is, this is the story that's actually written that I was able to find. And Pi'ilani told her story, which was a story about bravery. It was bravery of her husband, Kalua, I want to make sure I say this right, Kalua i Ko'olau, and in short, we'll call him Ko'olau. And they had a son, Kale Manu, who um, she referred to as Manu. And so there's a family photo of them, I think, here. And I think um, Ko'olau's mother is also in the picture. But this is them from way back in the 18, late 1800s. Well, both Ko'olau and Manu ended up contracting leprosy. And the U.S. provisional government found out, and they came to seize them in the middle of the night to take Ko'olau and Manu to Molokai. 
but Pi'ilani was not allowed to go with them because she didn't have leprosy, despite her pleas to go so she could care for her family. She didn't care if she got leprosy. And the marshals that came to take them away told her, no, you know, don't, don't be dumb like that. You're so young. You're, you're beautiful. You can go and still have a full life. You don't have the disease, right? So they said, even, even so, we can't let you go. But this family decided, they had made a pact that no matter what, they were going to stay together as a family. That was more important to them. And so the story that Pi'ilani tells is a story about a family that is fleeing officials to avoid being separated. It's also a story about writing injustices that have occurred when the government forcibly removed the native Hawaiians from their homesteads and even threatened and did take lives in the process. It's about being led by a spirit of goodness and love in the face of evil. As their son Manu witnesses the white man, and they refer to them as Haole right, in, this, in the movies, he's filled with hate for what the white man has done because the white man is coming in and just taking people. But Ko'olau, Manu's father, is determined to teach his son to avoid judging one by the color of one's skin, but instead to look at the heart to determine good or evil. There is a deep affinity and a strength that is drawn from the spirit, or mana, as they call it. So I encourage you, if you haven't seen this movie, it was, I think, through the International Film Festival, and it was shown for a very short time, but it got such positive reviews that they brought it back, and so you can actually catch it now in the theaters. Um, but I really urge you to go and see it. Um, Pastor Rebecca and I went, and she was bawling. Um, so bring your tissues. And the movie is called The Wind and the Reckoning. And this is Pi'ilani's tribute to her husband and son, whom she was able to be with until their deaths and um, lay them to rest. As I was watching this movie, I thought, wow, there are many parallels here about this couple. The couple in our scripture passage today, about, which is about Joseph and Mary, there's a lot that's that kind of overlaps. You have Ko'olau, Pi'ilani, and Manu, who had to flee for their lives also to stay alive, to keep the family together. They had so much to lose by just conceding and allowing the government to create laws and then even break them. I was reminded that Mary and Joseph and Ko'olau and Pi'ilani had some good people that encouraged them and helped them along the way people who believed in the same cause and helped to remind them of the goodness of the Spirit. I was reminded that some choices that Ko'olau and Joseph had to make in their very different circumstances were accompanied by excruciatingly tough times and consequences, but were necessary and vital to the story ending well for generations to come. Which brings us to our scripture passage today from Matthew 1, verses 18 through 25, which I'm going to call up Jarrett to read for us this morning. Hello, good morning, everyone. Okay. Um, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married in 
to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and they did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jarrett. So that's very devastating news for Joseph to receive about Mary. And if you can imagine, too, Mary has her own uh, roller coaster of emotions going on, right? Being told to by an angel that she is carrying the Christ child. And we know that Mary willingly and humbly accepts her part in God's story, knowing it's going to be a rough road, no doubt, but she has already chosen a better way for generations to come where all, including you and I and our families, would be blessed. So back to poor Joseph. He's dumbfounded. He's crushed. The questions, the confusion. Did she cheat on Joseph? What other explanation could there be? And, and what are his options? The Jewish law, law allowed him to divorce Mary, and in fact, she could be put to death for committing adultery. Scripture says that Joseph had it in his mind to divorce Mary quietly. But this is all a little bit confusing because I don't remember reading about a wedding in the Bible with Joseph and Mary. And so here's another example of how times have changed and the differences that we have in culture. In those days, when one was going to be married, there would be an actual contract of marriage where the groom's parents paid a price for the bride to her family. And the engagement period would last pretty much as long as a year. And part of it was to test, uh, it was like a fidelity test between the couples, right? But the couple would already really be considered married even though the actual ceremony and consummation of the marriage hadn't occurred and wouldn't occur for quite a while. So in Joseph's mind, Mary was already his wife. And this means that divorce was an option for him. I wonder, how would you have handled the situation? Would you have told anyone or kept it to yourself? What or who would you have been most concerned about with that news? Would you be thinking of yourself, others, choices that you have, outcomes of those choices? Would you react fast or would you pause before responding? Joseph demonstrates for us how to choose a better way when life throws us a curveball and we are paralyzed 
or feel like we've just been knocked off of our feet. He didn't just react and dismiss Mary. He didn't go out telling everyone what had happened. Instead, he was thinking and processing, wondering, perhaps even listening for direction. Joseph paused. He did not react and just call things off right then and there. He was weighing things, taking time, finding his footing again after some painful yet, it was amazing news to come. He was upset. He was blindsided. He was knocked off guard. Probably thinking, why me? But he was not reactive. Instead, he was responsive and responsible determined to choose the better way for all. And by his example, you and I too can choose a better way by number one in your sermon notes, recalibrating my mind and my steps, your mind and your steps, when we are thrown off guard or faced with some hard choices. We can recalibrate our mind and our steps. And recalibrate in this context means finding your balance again, re-examining your thinking, your plan, your system of values even, so that we can correct it, so we can change it in accord with a new understanding or purpose. Let's see, re-examining all this, Joseph might ask more questions, not only of Mary, but of himself. What were his fears? What were the options? The obvious choice would be divorce and they go their separate ways and Joseph could start a new life with someone. But Mary, Mary would forever be tainted and ridiculed if she were allowed to live. And what about this innocent child? Here's the thing. Joseph was a righteous man, a man of exceptional character, who lived by the law and also had a great deal of compassion for Mary and for her circumstances. He did not want her to suffer public humiliation. And that's why he thought of divorce quietly. That was more than expected, actually, of someone in these circumstances. But Joseph recalibrated, took time to think about next steps and process his thoughts which is enough time for the Holy Spirit to enter and do his work in us. How timely that an angel came to visit Joseph in his dreams. I imagine that that night when Joseph went to sleep, he must have tossed and turned. In fact, here's a beautiful piece of art that um, comes with our series that we are doing, and it's done by the Reverend Liesl Gwyn Garrity, and it depicts Joseph's sleep. When verse 20 says, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save people from their sins. The angel doesn't order him to stay with Mary, but instead addresses Joseph's fear Fear of social stigma, fear of being an adoptive parent, maybe. Fear of what a child conceived by the Holy Spirit will look and be like. 
and fear to love. The angel helps Joseph to reshape and redefine what is really at stake here. It's not necessarily about Mary and what she has or hasn't done. She has an important role to play here. It is about Joseph and his fears and what he is being called to do. This process that he is going through, it brings clarity. So like Joseph, you and I can choose a better way by number two in your sermon notes, redefining what is at stake, redefining what is at stake here. We know from reading on in the Bible that Joseph chose to stick it out, and that's why he's part of every nativity scene. He was there. He chose to stay and love Mary and the baby Jesus. He is part of why Jesus survived King Herod's order to kill firstborn sons. He is why Mary could travel far enough safely to deliver the Christ child and fulfill prophecy. And while it's true that Joseph may not have known or understood what part he was playing at the time, the angel told him, name the child Jesus. And Jesus is the Greek translation of the Hebrew name Yeshua, which means Joshua. So Jesus and Joshua both mean the Lord saves. So Joseph knew this child was the one who would save people from their sins. Sometimes it's really hard to get clear on what is at stake, especially when we're in the mess itself. Sometimes it's hard to see or remember that in order for circumstances to change, I cannot depend on other people to change first. I have to be willing to own the hard work and choose into staying the course of my choices as long as I am not putting myself or anyone else in danger or harm's way. Really important point. The part about choices and change starting with me is something that I was introduced to several years ago when we began as a church to incorporate emotionally healthy spirituality into our church culture as a healthy way of being with and growing with people and with Christ. Now, if you have taken what we call EHS for short, because emotionally healthy spirituality is a mouthful, if you've taken it before and you're thinking, I've already done that, or it's, it's, it was okay, it really didn't do much for me, then can you just do me a big favor and just hear me out? <laughs> Being open to redefining why EHS is important and what's at stake when we as a church aren't aligning in seeking growth and transformation within ourselves and within our church culture. One of the revealing components of emotion of EHS, I'm better off saying that, EHS, is looking back at our family history with a genogram or a family chart that doesn't just lay out genealogy, but relationship dynamics. In fact, I just finished another one. This is not the first one I've done in my one of my seminary classes on pastoral care and counseling because we can't be good pastors and care for others if we don't know what's going on in ourselves and what we have to deal with in ourselves. So my final project was to do a genogram and write a 10-page paper on my family. 
And so really briefly, I'm going to show it to you so you can see two things. I did this by hand. It's complicated and it's messy. And I'm talking about all the lines that you see being drawn. Those are relationship lines, mostly of, of hard ones. And believe it or not, yours may be the same. Different people, but possibly the same kinds of dynamics. Okay. So I don't want you to know everything, so we're going to take that down now. <laughs> and we're going we're gonna to delete that one and <laughs> throw it in the trash bin. <laughs> so I charted four generations of people in my family, within my family, and their relationships. And while I did see some strengths, I saw a lot of resilience in my family. There are just as many dysfunctional behaviors that we have shared and swapped and passed down through the years from generation to generation. And unless I became more self-aware, I noticed that I, I am just as guilty of passing it down these unhealthy patterns to my children, my marriage, or to my relatives, my friends, and coworkers. It seems simpler to say that the, hard, the harder people and the contentious relationships are just the ones that you want to avoid, right? If I just don't deal with it, it's easier. But that is not living into God's greatest commandment to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves nor is it healthy for you to be in discord. But once you begin to do the hard work of looking at the roots of your family of origin and looking internally to become more self-aware, there is greater likelihood that you will become less reactive and more reflective in your responses. And that is what EHS teaches. Now there's a point now to my talking so much about it, and that is to just share with you that we are going to begin a new study of EHS in January of 2023, which is right around the corner. And how we teach it really depends on how many um, people sign up. But for now, it is going to be on Zoom. And for those of you who have been here for a while, a refresher always does bring new insight. And I think everyone can say, every single person here is at a different place, especially after COVID knocked us off our feet and we had to regain our balance. There are a lot of things, in my life at least, that need recalibrating, old habits and patterns that I have fallen back on or maybe possibly have never addressed because I wasn't willing to acknowledge them and be truthful about it or maybe just haven't discovered yet. And I think you might be the same. If you're impressed at the way that Joseph handled his situation, and have maybe thought, I don't know if I could do what Joseph did, make that hard choice and choose to stay in the marriage and be a father to Jesus and listen to the Holy Spirit faithfully, I would encourage you to be part of our class. I'd say Joseph was emotionally and spiritually healthy. He knew how to avoid running from his problems and stay the course so that God could reveal himself to both Joseph and Mary beyond their wildest expectations. 
If you're not sure if you need this, then take a look at these questions and answer truthfully. Um, and this is just a little sampling of identifying top 10 symptoms of someone that is suffering from emotionally unhealthy spirituality. So I'm just going to go through them rather quickly because we take some time with it when we actually um, go into studying the book. But first one is using God to run from God where we're doing God's work to satisfy ourselves. We're using scripture to justify the sinful parts of our lives, our family, our culture, our nation, instead of evaluating scripture under God's way or Jesus's way. And what does that really mean? And what does that really look like? Number two is ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear. That's an unhealthy trait. Some people, I actually know some people that they have said, I, I, don't do, um, I don't do sadness. I can do anger, but I don't do sadness. So, number three is dying to the wrong things. Number four is denying the past's impact on the present. And that was kind of what the genogram helps with. Number five, unhealthy... Um, Symptom is dividing our lives into secular and sacred compartments, dual lives. Are you different at work and at church and with your family? I know I am. Doing for God instead of being with God. Do you take time for Sabbath? Do you take time for God to fill you up in that way? Spiritualizing away conflict. Covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure, which is really unnecessary because we are all broken people with flaws and failures. Number nine is living without limits. Do you always say yes or do you always say no, maybe? Boundaries. And number 10 is judging other people's spiritual journey. <laughs> no further explanation needed on that one. <laughs> If any one thing here applies to you, then I highly recommend and invite you to be part of what would be a transformational journey with others as we listen and we learn and we share with one another, guided by biblically founded principles of EHS, to be healthier in our emotional and contemplative practices with loving God and others well. All this is to be able to live more authentic lives, be who we are, truly who we are with one another, which is another way of saying living into the best of who God made you to be. Uniquely designed, uniquely created, and very much loved. Those of you who are newer, we have talked about EHS being an important value and an integral part of our Wellspring community. And if you are interested and have questions, please reach out to me or Pastor Rebecca, and we can sign you up. We can get you the materials for the study. We can talk to you more about it. And we'll provide more information week to week as we get closer so that you know what to expect. This has been, EHS has been a lifestyle change for me and I think for so many others here at Wellspring in the best of ways. When we are able to bring all of our brokenness to God, he's able to help us respond to the brokenness in us and the brokenness of the world, which is full of broken people. 
transforming us, but also helping us to see and experience and be affected by Christ's love and Christ's way that are always at work for good. It's a, it's a really great shift, especially if you have, um, are more cynical and you know, have a really negative view, which is pretty much where I came from. When we choose these better ways for ourselves, it impacts our future generations, which brings me to my final point today, that you and I can choose a better way when you and I are realigning with Christ and others. So we're realigning with Christ and others. Joseph knew that surrendering to God's desire for him to stay with Mary, despite other options, was better than him following what the Jewish law said. Because God's authority is law based on love and compassion. The prophet to whom verse 22 refers is in Isaiah 7, 14, who had spoken words to King Ahaz in the 8th century when Jerusalem was under siege, that the virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, whom they will call Emmanuel, meaning God with us. We should be realigned or aligned with God all the time. All this to say, Joseph knew enough to follow the Holy Spirit's direction. His submitting to God's better way wouldn't come without challenges. Joseph would be an earthly dad to Jesus and have to raise a toddler and a teenager. There might be gossip that follows Mary's pregnancy and Joseph's unwillingness to divorce her. But the angel's words, do not fear, would help to encourage him as he and Mary together would brave the dangerous circumstances to come. Joseph's choices brought unity with his wife, his child, and with God. That is the power of the Holy Spirit at work for good, for better, for generations to come. So I have just one question. Oh, okay, I have two questions for you to consider this week. Um, and that is what choice, what choice is the Holy Spirit inviting you to make for the sake of others? What does it require of you? Might be you need courage because you're fearful might be humility because you're too proud. It might be stillness because you're too busy. Advocacy because you are a silent bystander. Could be showing up because you'd rather stay home and do something else. It could be listening instead of talking. It could be time if it's the EHS class that you're thinking about. We're not thinking about. And if you're faced with difficult choices, be encouraged, be encouraged by Joseph's example to pause in his response, to get clear on what mattered to God. What mattered is people, Adam, Eve, Abraham, and generations to come. So be open to the joy that people can bring to one another, especially in this Advent season. And be open to the hope that joy can bring in those relationships that aren't quite there yet. Be open to the Holy Spirit working in and through you and your openness to response and responsibility and choosing a better way 
from Joseph's generation and generations to come. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that as we wait to celebrate the birth of your child, the Christ child, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, that you gave us the ultimate gift through this baby, the gift of salvation, the promise of sharing life eternal with you in your kingdom. You have given us hope as we share your good news about Jesus with the world around us that all may receive the best love of all, you. Lord, as we come to the end of a year, we receive what you may be hoping for each of our lives in the new year to come. I pray that just as Joseph took time to pause before he made a choice that would affect Jesus's story, that you would help us to see the need in our own lives to pause, to recalibrate when we are thrown off by someone or something, to redefine what is at stake based on our flesh, fleshly or godly choices, to realign ourselves always to you and to others who are for us in healthy ways. Reach us even in the hard to get spaces of our lives, Lord. And may the Holy Spirit open us to choose and desire you in how we live and affect the lives of others so that we may be the joy that you intended, so that others may see Christ alive and vibrant in and around us and experience that same joy. Amen. <laughs>